Thank you so much for being with us. I see people coming from vacations and I see people coming from the other side of the bridge, right here and right here. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. It's a privilege to actually have you in the church. And I know that it's not an accident that you're here because God has a message for all of us today. And, and while I was preparing for the preaching, I got reminded of um, this story. I mean, um, who, who had their victory weekend? Okay, there, there, there. Okay, we've, we've done our victory weekend. All right, who loves to eat chicken? Yeah. All right, all right, who loves chicken, okay? See, chickens are not just for food, but it's also for pets. Remember that, okay? There are people who take care of chickens because they love to have pets. Now, I was reminded of this story one day, right? A, a sibling, right? Um, a brother and a sister went home to their grandmother uh, to visit their grandmother. And, and while they were there, the, the son was actually, this is not a true story, by the way. The son was actually rummaging, with the, rummaging the things of his, grand, of his grandfather, and he saw a slingshot. Do you know what a slingshot is? Right? This is a slingshot. Right? So he saw the slingshot, and then he decided to play with it. Now, while he was playing with the slingshot, so he took a rock, he went to the end of the, uh, 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 a few meters away from him, he put a can and started shooting the slingshot, right? Lo and behold, again, if, you're, if it's your first time using the slingshot, do you think you'll hit the can? No, it's quite difficult, right? You need, a pra you need to practice. So lo and behold, when he, when he shot the slingshot, I hope that's not redundant, you know, it hit the neighbor's chicken, Right? It hit the neighbor's chicken, and then when it hit the neighbor's chicken, the sister said, Allah, I saw you. You killed the neighbor's chicken. And the, the son, of course, the boy, of course, said, Please don't tell grandma. Right? Please don't tell grandma. And, and in the evening, when they ate their dinner, grandma said, Oh, I already cooked the food. I cooked the food. Can you wash the dishes? And you know what the sister said? The sister said, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. But then when the grandma left, the sister looked at the boy and said, Allah, remember the chicken. Okay? So wash the dishes. So the boy went to wash the dishes because she, he was afraid. He washed the dishes and then breakfast came. Okay, breakfast came. And, the gra and, and while eating, the daughter said, Grandma, I'll wash the dishes. Right? Wow, what a wonderful daughter. As soon as the grandma stood up and looked back, went away from the table, the daughter said, Chicken. <laughs> Chicken. So, again, the boy washed the dishes. And this happened for the whole week. And finally, the boy got tired. Right? The boy got tired and said, I'm just going to go to grandma and, and tell her and be honest about the chicken. So she went to the, he went to the grandma and, grandma, and when, when he went to the grandma, the grandma he, he, said, he told her, his grandma, Grandma, I have done something wrong. I killed the neighbor's chicken. And you know what the grandma did? Said, he said, I know. 
I saw it. And I already paid for it. That was the dinner your first evening here. Alright? So, now, I, I know that's a funny story, but connecting that to what was preached last week about spreading the good news, I got reminded of how important the gospel is. That the gospel is not just for first-time believers, it's actually for us even though we're long-time Christians. Why? Because there are days when what we did in the past haunt us. Have you ever been haunted by a sin that you've done in the past? Right? My wife, thank God she's not historical. Alright? You know what historical is? Right? You know what historical is? When they do something wrong, remember what you did in 1992. You know? So I thank God she's not like that. But as we ended that series yesterday, I got reminded of the importance of bringing the gospel to the nations. I got reminded of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. But for us to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, we first have to be convinced. Amen? We have to be convinced of how important the gospel is. Unfortunately, in a time where there are a lot of, like what G uh, said yes, yesterday, earlier, a lot of disturbances, a lot of digital disturbances, a lot of you know, things that will divert you from the truth, and a lot of things that dilute the truth, we have to be reminded of the importance of the gospel. My question is, do, do you still view the gospel the same way you viewed it the first time you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you still view it that same way? How important is the gospel? That if we will take the gospel to every nation and to every campus, we too must be convinced. So my question is, how important is the gospel to you? Is it just a one-time thing? Or is it something that we really have to hold on to, no matter how mature we are in our walk with Christ? In the next three weeks, we'll be talking about the death, the resurrection, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And I personally believe that this is a very timely message for all of us. In a time of disappointments, in a time of so many temptations, in a time of uncertainty. Remember COVID? Remember when COVID struck? That kind of uncertainty, well, it's still uncertain. In a time of uncertainty, and even especially in a time of plenty. Because sometimes in the time of plenty, that's when we also forget who Jesus is. In times of plenty, in times of lack, we all need to be reminded of what is of first importance. Right? If you think about it, the word first importance is quite, is quite redundant. Right? It's important and it should be first. It's, it's, you know, it's quite redundant. And our prayer is that at the end of the series, all of us, that's including me, 
all of us would have a deeper understanding of the importance and the centrality of the effect of the death of Christ, His burial, and His resurrection in our lives. What's the effect? Okay, Christ died. So what? Right? Christ was buried. So what? Right? Christ resurrected. So what's in it for me? And for others, we have to be reminded of that. that because when we understand it so much, when we understand the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we understand it and embrace it, you know, it gives us a greater vision and purpose to live a victorious life. Not like the chicken. Remember the chicken. Are we excited? You're all serious. <laughs> right? Are we excited? Right? Let's all turn. I'll, I'll be preaching only 1 Corinthians 15.3, but I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 3. Let's all stand on our feet in reverence of the word. Now, before we read it, right, let's invite the Lord to reveal to us what, is the, what the Word says. Right, let's, let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for a time of to being together, a time, Lord God, to talk about your Word, to talk about your heart. Lord God, not just for us, but even for others. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that as we read your Word right now, even as we read it, Lord, you will just reveal important things. Things, Lord God, that will not just be a source of inspiration, but things that will mold our heart so that our heart will be like yours. In Jesus' name, amen. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. Right, you have it? Right, let's read it all together. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you which is which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you held fast into the word I preach to you unless you believe in vain for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures this is the word of the Lord you may now be seated Right, so, 1 Corinthians is actually a book written to who? Okay? Corinthians, alright? Where's your paper and pen? Right? <laughs> okay? We have a quiz, remember? So, 1 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul to the church that addresses questions and doubts on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the church of Corinth did not believe in resurrection and that was their culture. So their, their culture was being plugged into the church and they started to doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not only that, it also emphasizes the significance of the resurrections of Christ. Resurrect, no, resurrection of Christ. There's only one resurrection. Resurrection of Christ and the implication of this in their lives. Have you ever wondered, Lord, if you were resurrected, what does, what does that have to do with me? Right? Now, 
the Corinth church was dealing with various issues. Right? Just like our church today, we're dealing with various issues like immorality, misuse of gifts, right? division, and they were even actually bringing their members to court. So I would bring someone to court. So they were doing that. Now, the problem with that is this. The problem with that is that because they were doing that, they were damaging the reputation of the church. And they, when they were damaging the reputation of the church, people started to doubt their faith. Right? And, and, and this is my theory. I think that at the root of that disorganization, that at the root of that division, this, that at the root of that immorality, is the, the, the failure to understand doctrine. Is that they were struggling to understand, embrace, and therefore even live out the, the resurrection of Christ. And sadly, this was affecting their lives. Now, I know that the letter was addressed to the church then, but I also believe that this letter is also addressed to us. This morning, I would like you to pause just for a minute. Oh no, I would like you to pause just for less than an hour. <coughs> Put your mobile phones on the airplane mode. Put your mobile phones on silent and just pause for, uh, for 30 minutes. Right? Just pause for 30 minutes. And let us reflect on a personal level on this question. Right? Let's talk about this question. Why is the death of Christ important to me? Have you ever pondered on that? Have you ever thought of that? Why is his death important to us? If you are experiencing division, and when I say experiencing division, right, I, well, you, you feel that you're being let out, left out, you feel that you're being put aside, your family is breaking apart, that's division, right? You are suffering from identity crisis, Right? Am I thin? Am I fat? You know? Or, you know, midlife crisis. Are you experiencing division? Are the pressures of the world, are, is peer pressure trying to change you from who you are to someone else? That's division. Are you experiencing that? Are you experiencing temptations? You're addicted to things that you know, no matter what you do, you just can't let go off. Temp temptation to, to take what's not yours. Are you so in love? Okay, who's in love? Hey, come on. Right? Are you so in love with someone that you just can't let go even if that someone is pulling you away from Christ? Right? Have you experienced disappointments? Who have experienced disappointments here? Right? I believe that if we understand the death of Christ and how important it is, all of the, what I said right now, you will experience victory against all of that. Why? Right? Why? Why will we experience victory if we understand why Christ died for us? It says in the verse that we, uh, we read earlier, verse 1, 
Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, what did it say? In which you stand. In which you stand. If you stand, see, if I stand on a stage that's not so strong, I will fall. If we stand in a world that is pushing us to do something wrong and we stand on something that's temporal, we will fall. Now, when Paul says, in which you stand, he is reminding the Corinthian church of being anchored or established in the truth of the, of the gospel. See, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Paul was reminding them to anchor themselves and establish, them, establish themselves in the truth of the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We find both stability and assurance in that Stability and assurance that no matter what the world does, you will stand. No matter what your struggles us, you will stand. No matter the difficulty that you face, you will stand. No matter how great the temptation that is given in front of you, you will stand because the gospel is, you know, is, is a truth that you know, it has eternal implications. The gospel is our solid foundation. A solid foundation in Christ. And listen to this. A solid foundation in Christ that despite our sins, despite our brokenness, we can trust on the power of the gospel to transform us. We stand. And I say we to transform us because also Paul says here that by which the gospel, by which we are being saved. Paul reminds us that the, effect, that the effects of salvation, you know, it's not just something that we profess. It's not just something that we talk about. It's not just something that we post on Facebook. The effects of the gospel is something that we live out. See, our lives might be the only Bible that people will read. your friends, your families. It's not just about the initial belief when we came to church and someone led us to Christ. It's something that transformed us. And that's a treasure, a gift that only you will have. You know, I'm not saying that we have to be perfect. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the effect of the gospel might not be evident now. The effects of the gospel of you being in Christ might not be evident now. But because God is a faithful God, 
because God is a faithful God, the effect of the gospel will happen. We just have to be obedient. Because it says here, and it's, it's hard, it will take time. It takes time for the gospel to take effect in your lives. But the Bible is clearly says, it says here, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. It says here, If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, Paul encourages them, and even as today, to hold firmly to the word of God. This implies an active commitment. See, some, salvation is not something that is passive. Salvation might hurt you. Salvation, you know, the gospel, accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, the world might reject you. The world might laugh at you, right? Even the closest people will reject you. Or maybe, right, you will be required to close the doors that you've left when you, act, when you decided to follow Christ. Maybe it will require that. It will hurt but I tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Even if the person you love the most denies you, it's okay. Can you imagine the person that loves you the most denies you? That would hurt, right? That would hurt. But even if the person you love the most denies you, it's okay. Why? Because there is someone that loves you so much that he even died for you. Verse 3, it says here, For I deliver to you as of first importance that I, what I also received, that Christ died. See, his death is the ultimate solution to man's greatest need. His death is the ultimate solution to the most basic human right. His death is the answer to the most valuable thing that any human would desire. And what is that? That's to be reconciled with God. His death is the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. God's willingness to send His Son to die for our sins, you know what that reflects? It reflects His boundless love. Can you say boundless with me? His mercy and grace. It shows us the depth you know how deep, I want to sing. Can I sing? How deep is your love? Right? It reflects how deep God's compassion and how deep God's desire for reconciliation for a broken being like me. Wow. Just wow. Can you comprehend that? Can you comprehend the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, desiring to have a personal relationship with you and me? A broken, a hurt, 
And you know what's so hard about being hurt? Because when you're hurt, you're bound to hurt someone else. A broken and hurt being, and yet, this all-magnificent, all-perfect God wants to have a personal relationship with me. But wait. But wait, there's more. Because he, you know, because he, he wants and desires to have a relationship with you, and He knows that whatever we do, we can never have that. We can never pay for that because you know, we all, you know, we're sinners by nature. And yet, He wants a relationship with us, but we cannot you know, atone because God is just. We cannot pay for our sins. He came and died for us. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Died for our sins. I don't want to go ahead of myself. So what is of first importance? What is this message? What is this message that, these, that, that Paul received that is of first importance? Is that Christ died for our sins. That's of first importance. Because He died for our sins, we no longer have to fear. The older sister, the chicken, don't fear that anymore because Christ died for our sins already. Because He already paid for our sins. The past, the present, and even the future sins that you have are all forgiven. The death of Christ is important and it sits at the core of our faith. It's at the core of our faith. It carries profound, when I say profound, very big implications for the lives that, or to the lives that we have. Imagine if you're unloved. Did you know that the death of Christ demonstrates God's love for you? Are you ready to die for the person that you love? Christ's death is the, de- the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us and we are recipients of that love. The death of Christ is the ultimate you know, demonstration. I, cannot, I don't know how to paint that, but it's the ultimate. You know what ultimate is? Nothing goes beyond that. God's willingness to send His Son to die for our sins reflects His boundless love, mercy, and grace. Do you know what boundless is? Boundless. Eat all you can. And even more, boundless. Right? It reveals the depth of His compassion, His desire to reconcile with us. I've said that earlier, I know. And Christ's death actually serves as a model of selflessness and sacrificial love. Christ's death is the atonement of our sins. Something that we, as imperfect beings, will never be able to pay. Through His death, we can have redemption and forgiveness. Redemption and forgiveness. Those are two different things. I can be redeemed, but I cannot be forgiven. My sins can be paid for, 
but my sins still remain or the effects of my sins are still there. But not only forgiveness, we also received, no, not only redemption, we also received forgiveness. He paid the price for our sins. Our sins. He freed us and released us from the power of sin. You know the power of sin? Let me demonstrate to you the power of sin. One more game. Okay? Then again, okay, one more game. And one more game. And one more game. You know the power of sin? One more rice. Okay? One more rice. Again, one more rice. Sin tempts you into having more of it. Sin, you know what Satan does? He, he sees what you like and he gives you more and more and more of it. That's sin. And it's eating at you until you no longer own yourself. He's freed you from that. He's freed you from that cycle of sin. The death of Christ brings about our justification also before God. Through Him, through faith in Him, we are declared righteous. From a broken, sinful person, because of what Christ did, we are righteous. His death is also our source of hope and assurance. That no matter what the enemy does, no matter what temptation the enemy says, no matter how you are reminded of your sin in the past, you go back to God and say, God, thank you for forgiving me. We can always find hope in God. We can always find assurance in God. And I want us to pause for a moment. If the death of Christ demonstrates God's love, it's the atonement of our sin and is the source of our hope and assurance, I want us to pause for a moment. Let's have a quiz. Let's allow that to sink in for a bit. For one minute, just one minute, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is the most remarkable gift you have ever received in this lifetime? Just think about it. What is the most remarkable gift you have received in your lifetime? Not just an ordinary gift, not just the amount. When I say most remarkable gift, it's not just the amount. What's the most remarkable gift that you received that you know the person who gave you that gift really put some thought into it? Is it an engagement ring? Five carat diamond. What's the most remarkable gift that you've received in your lifetime? Have you thought of it? Right? Now I want you to multiply that a hundred times. I want you to multiply that gift a hundred times. What would that be? You can share. I ask the person beside you, what's the most remarkable gift that you've ever received? Come on, come on. Let's ask, 
what's the most remarkable gift you've ever received? You got it? You got it? Okay. Now multiply that a thousand times. Right? If you've received a, a, a boat, multiply that a hundred times. Right? It's going to be a yacht. Yeah? A, a yacht. Right? Multiply that gift a hundred times. You know what? That doesn't compare to the gift that you've received. Multiply that a thousand times or a hundred thousand times. Multiply that most precious gift a hundred thousand times. That's not the most remarkable gift you've ever received. Multiply that one million times. You know, multiply that one million times. If you received one BD, that's one million BD. Guess what? That's not the most remarkable gift you've ever received yet. E multiply that to infinity. Infinity, right? I think that doesn't even come close to the gift that you received from Christ. That's how valuable the death of Christ is. That you can take everything in the world and multiply that to infinity, that's still not, that, that still doesn't come close to what you've received in Christ. His death, you know what, is not just a casual gesture. He didn't say, he didn't wake up one day, oh, okay, I, I feel sorry for the humans, let me go to earth and die for them. His death is not just a casual gesture. His death was a deliberate and intentional personal choice for you and me. For you and me. And it was planned. Right? It was planned from the time, you know, immemorial. In Genesis, right? Let's go to Genesis 3.15. Right? You have, do I have it there? Genesis 3.15. It says here, for I did, uh, no, gen, no, gen, uh, first in First um, Corinthians fifteen three, it says here, for I delivered to you as of first importance that at what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And what does the scripture say? Say um, Genesis three fifteen. It says here, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You know what this is? You know what this is? According to legionnaire.org, this is known as the Proto-Evangelium. Right? Those who love anime, that's not Evangelion. Okay? It's Proto-Evangelium. What does that mean? It is the first gospel. It's the first gospel. It proclaims that God's people will finally triumph over the serpent. God's people. Now, while the word offspring of the woman is a collective noun indicating corporate victory, would you agree with me when I say that left to us, 
this will be impossible. If it was just us, we can never beat the enemy. So we can assume that um, left ourselves, you know, we, we can assume that it will take Jesus, the seed of Eve, to deliver the crushing blow over the serpent and through him we can have the victory. Did you get that? From Genesis 3.15. A few verses later, Genesis 3.21, it says here, And the Lord made Adam, made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Right? Garments of skin. Question, where will skin come from? From an animal. Okay? So in order for Adam and Eve to have uh, garments of skin, an animal's life had to be given up. I hope it wasn't snake skin, you know? Now, not only this, again, it's written in Scripture, right? According, he died according to the Scriptures. Turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Right? You know, I say this, this part of Isaiah was written roughly between 700 to 800 or maybe years more before the death of Christ. So 700 or 800 before Christ was crucified. Now, this prophetic passage describes the suffering servant who would bear the sins of many. Right? Isaiah chapter 53. It speaks about a Messiah or the Messiah. It speaks about his sacrificial death for the salvation of humanity. Right? I want you to read Isaiah 53 with me. We'll only read until verse 10. Verse 1. Who, had, who has believed what has... Sorry, I can't read. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. And this is Jesus Christ. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and, he, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. <clears throat> but he was pierced. Right? Remember the cross? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed 
and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that bore its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for, the, for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, he was considered dead, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made him his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, remember, he did not retaliate, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet, verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was, he, he has put him to grief. For who? When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his land. Remember the gift that we talked about earlier. Are you convinced that this gift, that even if you multiply it to eternity, will not compare to what Jesus Christ did on the cross? See, that gift is not just meant to redeem us, but free us. And allow us to live a thankful, victorious life. His death is not just a historical event. His death is not just a historical event. It is a truth that should shape every single aspect of our lives. See, when Christ died, his death was gruesome. When Christ died, he was, he wouldn't, you wouldn't even recognize him as human. I think I have a picture there. When Christ died, he, was, he suffered so much. Remember the night before his crucifixion, right? How many lashes did he get? How many lashes did he get? And those lashes are not the same as the lashes we had as kids. Those lashes were meant to cut into the flesh. Cut into the flesh. That every time they throw the whip, there was a weight on the end of the whip. That every time they threw the whip, it tenderized the muscle. And when the muscle was tenderized, there's a hook that comes after that and pulls out the flesh from his back. That's how gruesome his death is. That when the thorn, that crown of thorns was placed on his head, he began to bleed. But wait, there's more. He carried the cross. We should be the ones carrying that cross, not him. Because he lived a sinless life. He carried the cross to Calvary. And when he was there, he was crucified. You know what? The Romans did not invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. They perfected crucifixion. Did you know that even breathing is difficult 
when you are crucified. And not only that, he was mocked, he was spit at. Not because of what he did, but because of what we did. Because of what I did. So the gift that I told you about earlier, that you thought about, that's how precious it is. And my prayer is that we take that gift and live it out. How should we respond? First, let's be thankful. Aren't you thankful that someone died for you? Someone was able to pay the penalty of sin that you will never ever, that I will never ever be able to pay. Gratitude is a power and powerful and transformative practice you know, that can lead us to a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life. Gratitude is a wonderful practice so that we constantly worship the God who gave His only Son to die for us on the cross. Gratitude encourages us to follow Him despite the circumstances that we are in. Be thankful. Where do we start? We trust the Scriptures. The Scriptures are reliable and trustworthy. They are God's Word, which contains prophecies and teachings that came into fulfillment you know, when Christ died. There's about 300 plus prophecies that came into fulfillment uh, that were mentioned in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Christ. 300 plus. We trust the scripture because it is written by divine inspiration. It is breathed out by God. We trust the scripture because it has historical accuracy. You go to Israel and you will see that words written in the Bible were alive. It has historical accuracy. And there is no other book written by anyone that has perfect consistency and unity. So why would you not trust the scriptures? And there is no other book that will endure through eternity. Have you ever thought about it? Why is it that a book written thousands of years ago is still relevant to us today? Did you ever thought about it? Did you ever think about that? We trust the scriptures. Number three, we take, I forgot that, Nika. We take and testify his goodness. Why did I say take? It, it, it's written there. 1 Corinthians 15.3. Can you show that next? We take it and testify it. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. See, the action here the action that was done here is delivering what he has received. Delivering what? 
the message that has first importance, which is the gospel. So how do we respond? Be thankful, we trust the word of God, we take the word of God, and we testify about it. I want you to imagine now a world that is without, world without God. Can you imagine a world that, that is without God? A world that has no law and order. Can you imagine that? You can't, right? You can't imagine that because that world will never exist. Why? Because we will destroy each other. We will destroy the planet. We will destroy each other. That's a world that is without God. On the other hand, I want you to imagine what a world will look like that worships God. What if everyone, every nation, every generation will worship God? Imagine that. Would it be a wonderful world? Would it? See, us in every nation, we believe that we are called to change the world. Question is, where do we start? We start by changing the world of someone. 